Watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast Where a couple of homos talk about the latest movie theater releases From our own queer ass perspectives My name is Jason Leroy My name is Rebecca Olarte And today we're gonna take a look at three new releases Allegiant, Miracles from Heaven, and Eye in the Sky And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale With Binge It being our highest rating Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means life is too short for that mess. Let's get started. Um, okay, Jason, what what is up with you? What's new? What's happening? What's going on? Give me the skinny. Well, so guys, first, what you need to know is that before we start recording this, Rebecca and I sat here and sang <laughs> Vibology and Rush Rush by Paula Abdul almost in their entirety. It was my favorite part of this entire podcast. <laughs> yes, and you guys didn't even get to hear it. I know. Uh, it, it, I don't even know. I was like making up names for myself when we were doing audio tests. And then I said I was a doctor of vibology and then one thing led to another. And, and then we were singing and, into the mics. Yes. And then, and then, and then we were talking about the violins that she mm-hmm. uses and are they real or false? And it was an intense debate. Um, and, uh, and we both maybe were close to tears just through the emotion of living rush, rush. I, we're going to have to do something about that after this. Yeah. Maybe just quick run to, I mean, uh, the mint. Maybe I wonder what, what Sherioki to Rush Rush, or maybe and Anonioki to Rush Rush. Oh, Ooh. next. Oh my time. God. Next time. Okay, it's a date. So what's new with me? Uh, this week I did something that I have like never done in my adult life, and not only did I do it, I did it twice. <laughs> and it doesn't involve a lady. It <laughs> <laughs> and it's much more boring than what I'm setting up. I went without coffee. Oh. I'm I, I'm sincere when I say that. I don't think I have ever not had coffee a day in my adult life. I like that the what's up with you section is turning out to what you ingested this I week. I know, what's going yes. Into your, what's yes. going in you is actually here's, the question. Here's, here's, <laughs> should yes, be asking here, you, but shouldn't. Here's what's slippering down my gullet this week. <laughs> or not, as the case may be. need a little uh, theme song for that yeah. section. <laughs> I'm sure I can cook up something real quick. <laughs> Here's what Jason, here's what he's eating. No, I don't know. I don't got it. Go just work on it. Yeah, I will. Um, so yeah, like I've been doing these hot yoga. I feel like my stories just make me sound insufferable. I'm like, well, the thing is, I've been going to these hot yoga classes. Oh my god. I know. I know. I'm terrible. <laughs> How many shows do, do, have to make you sound insufferable before you think you actually are insufferable? What's the number? <laughs> But the, I don't know. Then I just like now I'll just start coming up with fictitious stories to answer the question of what's up with me. <laughs> Is that what you want? I'm I trying to be what? genuine we'll with see. you and with we'll our see. listeners. But uh, no, I've been going to these hot yoga classes on Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're 10:45 a.m. And like I found out the hard way last week that like if I have had 20 ounces of coffee right before I am like contorting and trying to put my face between my fucking chins, uh, <laughs> that it is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and uh, and so Monday, I like was you feel like, like you're gonna have a heart attack, or well, you just feel like it feels like an acid refluxy kind of thing. Oh God! Um, because like you know, it's like it's fucking it's coffee, and it's just like rising up because you're literally bent over completely at the waist, putting your face between your shins. And oh, I thought you said chins the first my time. Fa- my my face between <laughs> my chins. First of all, how dare you? Second <laughs> I of all, my misheard. <laughs> These mics are terrible. What would that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, blame the mics you bought. God damn it. This podcast shins. is over. Shins. Well, how would my face go between my chins? How would that even work? I don't know. I, like, did you think I, I was like... A joke. No. <laughs> no. Well, now I feel like an asshole. Yes, way Clearly to go. That's what you said the first Just, just body snarking me all to shit. 
the tea is scalding hot today from Rebecca, guys. Uh, yeah, sorry. Anyway, biology. <laughs> that was fun. Remember that? Remember, remember we were having fun? Remember before this terrible gauntlet was thrown? <laughs> Go on. So no coffee. <laughs> so no You're like, so anything else in the story? Just no coffee? Cool. <laughs> Back on to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just didn't have coffee. And I have like maintained my entire adult life. I have thought like if I were to not have coffee in the morning that I would probably die mm-hmm. within like an hour. Uh, so it was one of those things when it's nice to be surprised about yourself that yeah. this thing that you just do as a matter of rituals, a matter of habit is actually not essential to your survival. That should make it feel like more of a treat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, oh, coffee is something I don't need. And then, but like it's cut not... to your coworkers and they're like, he's a son of a bitch on Wednesdays <laughs> and Mondays. <laughs> it's like he literally sleeps the entire afternoon. <laughs> Productivity is down. Exactly. He's spending too much time with Rebecca. <laughs> Noted desk sleeper. <laughs> anyway, that's what's up with me. What's up with you, Rebecca? Uh, not too much. Um, tomorrow's my birthday, uh, so I'm getting super old. Yeah. Um, other than that, how oh, was, I went to LA. Yeah, how was your trip to, to LA? LA? It was great. Um, we ate a lot, a lot of good restaurants, had a lot of great food, great drinks, good company, wonderful basketball game. Um, it was a real treat. I like LA a lot. Mm-hmm. That's it. Did you do any fun lesbian things? Nope. <laughs> no lesbian things in LA? No. I mean, you went to see a basketball game. Yeah, I mean... With I your wife. That is true. <laughs> so, so there's that. Just in existence. Just, just, by, just, just yes. Just, by just the mere physical fact of you being there turns into a lesbian thing. Exactly. So you answer the question correctly. I make it a lesbian thing. Right, exactly. Between your chins. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the truth lies. Sorry about that. Uh, should <laughs> we talk about you. the movies? <laughs> Please? We, we can try. Okay, we'll try. The first movie we're going to look at this week is Allegiant. After the earth-shattering revelations of Insurgent, Triss must escape with four beyond the wall that encircles Chicago to finally discover the shocking truth of what lies behind it. Triss, to your people you are divergent. To me, you are a miracle. You are genetically pure. The rest are damaged. Four? Damaged. You are the only one worth saving. So, I don't know anything about this series. Lucky you. (laughs) Um, I feel like I only had time for one young adult novel series, and I went for Hunger Games. I feel like I made the right decision. You did. So, this is what I think it is, the poor man's Hunger Games. It is 100% the poor man's Hunger Games. Yes. So, that would make this the Mockingjay Part 1? Yes. This is the Mockingjay Part 1. This is like the first part of them taking the last book and splitting it into two movies. Cute. Even though... <laughs> the one thing they copied from The Hunger Games was the one biggest mistake. Yeah, the made. biggest mistake that it made. Yeah. Um, it's 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 very similar to where they're at in The Hunger Games, Walking J Part 1, because there's a lot of overlap in the structures between what the Divergent series are about and what the Hunger Games series are about in terms of being this kind of dystopian world mm-hmm. where everyone's broken into this kind of caste system mm-hmm. and you know the ruling elites are the villains mm-hmm. and then we have this you know this this young every woman who rises up and takes them on and um you know excels in battle and all this shit and um and then what's happening as we're rounding into this part one finale is that like the the rebels have now risen up and overthrown this ruling class. But then we start to see like, oh, maybe they are also bad. I've heard this story before. <laughs> yep. Yep. It hits every beat. And, you know, it just is just another lesson that anyone who wants to hold power is just 
just a bad person, which is a valuable lesson for an election year. <laughs> uh, this is also, this is targeted to young adults, right? Yeah. 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 Um, that, so those dummies. <laughs> they'll, they'll watch anything. Ugh. What? I mean, this comes a, like a beat and a half after The Hunger Games in terms of releases. Mm-hmm. Does it improve upon in any way? Does it see where Hunger Games went? Well, apparently not. They're doing this Mockingjay Sitch. Well, I, I think the one way that the Divergent movies improves upon the Hunger Games movies is that they have a much stronger uh, visual aesthetic. They're much more stylish. Yeah. Huh. They're much more stylish. They have stronger visuals. Um, and Hunger Games is always kind of... Uh, I don't know, pretty pretty basic with its visuals. You know, it didn't really... You didn't like the dress that caught on fire? Well, that was, I mean, that was a fine effect. That was a fine effect. I mean, an overall sort of visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Our games didn't really seem to have one. Hmm. Um, you know, it kind of, I think they switched directors a few times and and it just seemed inconsistent visually. Yeah. Um, you know, and just in terms of like what the ca- how the camera moved and how the camera told the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Divergent movies have that over the Hunger Games. So aside from that... No, <laughs> they don't. They don't have much to commend them. I mean, like in every way. I mean, Shailene Woodley is the poor man Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. It extends the whole way across. I have now watched three of these movies. This is the third one. Yes, and I have not retained like a goddamn bit of it. Hmm. Uh, one of the biggest problems with these movies is that they never leave exposition mode. Oh, that's your least favorite thing. One of. Yeah. It's like it never stopped because this world that the author, Veronica Roth, created in the books is so complex, so Mm. needlessly complex that it it never just stops to let you enjoy the moment. It's just like, okay, now here's what this is going to mean for this. And also here's this person, but they're they're in this class. That means this. And also, but on Thursdays, this. And like, (laughs) and you're just like, you don't have like a notebook in front of you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm doing this on no caffeine. I can't fucking take it. (laughs) And, you know, so it's it's really hard to just keep track of like, what the fuck is going on? Who's that? And how are they related to that person? Is that person good or bad? And it just, it just never ends. It never lets up. Um, With that said, I will say that this was a decently action-packed installment of this of this series. Okay, I definitely preferred it to the last one. Okay, um, so it's number two. This is number three. three. It's better than number two. It's probably better than number one too. It might be the best one so far, but that's not saying much. <laughs> um, because like all I think when I watch these movies is like, do not want, do not want. Who are these people who like Divergent? I don't get it. It's lost on me. Like who? Like who is so? desperate for another like a Hunger Games knockoff that they and they wouldn't just want to rewatch the Hunger Games and so they actually will watch this like this mediocre kind of also ran version of it. Mm-hmm. I, it's just I don't I don't understand the appeal. And they get such good actors in these movies too. Obviously they're just, you know, just trying to get, you know, some food in there on their tables but you know i mean they have naomi watts in this they oh had, really they had kate winslet in the first two but she got shot in the head by naomi watts at the end of the second movie uh octavia spencer is in these movies what yes uh yeah they have a huh. good they have a good um jeff daniels joins this movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh I heard that in the trailer yeah so and then Jalen woodley is a terrific actress she's the know? one that eats dirt right yeah okay um that aside she's a terrific actress just wondering um she's not great at acting normal but she is <laughs> great otherwise miles teller is in these movies uh you know it's 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 a good cast mm-hmm. uh her boyfriend in this is theo james theo james oh Oof. um and two of the other like supporting players have played her boyfriends but in other movies right yes in better movies even in better movies yes so um as i mentioned miles teller is in the movie and he's in all of them and he was her boyfriend in the spectacular now 
which is far and away uh, sort of the best movie that she's probably been in. Um, that and The Descendants are probably the best movies mm. that she has been in. What's called The Spectacular Now? The Spectacular Now, which it. also has Brie Larson in it. Oh. Um, Academy Award Academy winning Award actress. Academy Award winning actress, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Um, the spe- uh, Spectacular Now is, is, is really, you would love it. Jeffrey Jason Lee's in it. Um, it's, a, it's, 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 <gasps> yeah, it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> what did um, I just hear her in? Her voice is in a trailer for something. Not Anomalisa? No, no. Um, oh, it's something big. Is it the Superman Batman movie? Oh, maybe. I think. Or are I, you are you thinking of Holly Hunter? Is she in the Superman yes. Batman movie? Her voice? <laughs> no, she's yeah, she's in the trailer. I, it wasn't a look in a look thing. It was a voice thing. I right, thought it was yeah. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah, she's she's like Superman or Batman. You know, like just doing her Holly Hunter voice. Could be. Not that she sounds like Jennifer Jason Leigh, but I'm, I'm I'm I feel like that's who you might be thinking Could of. Could be. But yes, so Miles Teller, and then also <laughs> way to get us back on track. And then you go down this rabbit hole of like <laughs> name this voice that Rebecca <laughs> doesn't have an impression of and is just saying a voice. <laughs> so Ansel Elgort plays Shailene Woodley's brother in this movie, and he was her love interest in The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, that name just rolls out the tongue. Ansel Elgort. (laughs) (laughs) Heartthrob, Ansel Elgort. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, yeah, so they're both in this movie. And uh, and the funny thing, and and Theo James plays Four, who is her love interest in the Divergent movies. Mm -hmm. And this, this man, this beautiful man. Wow. Does not have a bad angle to be filmed from. This is the most gorgeous, gorgeous man like he makes the other two dudes look like fucking chopped liver. Oh wow! And so it kind of it kind of gives almost this weird boost to Shailene Woodley sitting there. Like they have a lot of scenes, the four of them together, and she's like, you know, they'll be like driving four. Four. <laughs> the four, four characters four together. Four characters, okay. And like they have a bunch of scenes in like a vehicle trying to drive across the desert, and she's in the front seat with her like hot ass boyfriend in this movie, and her like two exes are in the back seat, like <laughs> looking all dumpy in comparison which is kind of funny um but the funny thing about theo james in this movie though is his character is supposed to be naomi watts's son um Mm -hmm. and naomi watts is like the leader of the rebel movement that maybe is not so great and um but even though she's his mother he can't ever really say like that he can't really call her mom that much because it's so emasculating and so he calls her by her name which is evelyn oh and so he's never like he's always like we have to find out what Evelyn's doing because it wouldn't sound as cool if he was like, we have to find out what my mom is doing. <laughs> so the fun, fun game to play if you find yourself unlucky enough to watch Allegiant uh, is to just replace the word Evelyn with my mom every time he says it. Have you ever seen the Onion video of the movie critic who talks about the Hunger Games movies? <laughs> I don't think we'll so. We'll link to it in the in the description of this podcast because, but it's just uh, this Onion critic, and he's like, and he you know breaks down the movies, and he's just like talking about which boys are the hottest. It is <laughs> that's basically what it, it's very a, it's, relevant. It's a guy, yeah, it's a yeah, guy. especially with this next question. Um, yeah, exactly. So. Uh, we have Miles Teller, Theo James, and Waldorf Kirchman. <laughs> Wombat Waldorf. Alden. Wombat Dusseldorf. Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. That's it. Yes. Okay, Jason. You're, you're, you can't wait for me to ask you. Hmm. Mary, fuck, kill. Oh, Rebecca. These questions are so objectifying. <laughs> Where do I, I come up with them? I expected better from you. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I have not given this a lot of thought, but... <laughs> As you take uh, out your notebook. <clears throat> um, let me just get my spectacles. 
Uh, so I think that I would marry Ansel Elgort because I think that he would be a lot of fun and he's kind of cute. I would fuck Theo James <laughs> only because he is also a model and he's dumb as a sack of shit and he can't act for a damn. And I would kill Miles Teller because he's a little cocksucker. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> yes. Which is a well-known fact. A well-known fact. This is this is evidenced by every interview he's granted in the last two years. Uh-huh. And that's why he's killable? Uh, yeah, because yeah, because he's just an asshole. Huh. So. All right. And he's also the least cute of the three. Okay. Well, then, then there's that. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> so, about what's really important here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me back on track. So... Sorry, how? I wandered into the question of substance of character. <laughs> Just for like a quick I was second. going off brand. Um, how diverse is this movie? So these movies have really diverse supporting casts. Um, clear, supporting. Mm, supporting mm-hmm, casts. Mm-hmm. Very diverse. But the thing is that going into this movie, literally in the first 10 minutes, it kills off two of its supporting actors of color. Uh, Mackay Pfeiffer and Maggie Q. That's where he's been. <laughs> yes, he's been making the Divergent movies, but now he's dead. He gets shot literally right away, like opening scene. Um, and this is also one of those bullshit movies that will show people get shot in the head at close range, but have zero blood. Uh, so uh-huh. it, which is just like you see like him get shot in the head at close range and then he just kind of like falls over and there's no evidence of the fact that this man was just shot in the head at close range. Keeping it PG-13. Exactly. It's like oh, this bullshit movie. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he dies and the Maggie Q dies like a minute later. And, 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 and there are like tons of other characters they could be killing off. Um, mm. But the fact that they kill off like the two of color, leaving only young Zoe Kravitz uh, oh. to hold it down. And, uh, and I don't know if she's one that you would be questioning about anyway. Because nope. I never nope. know. No, you don't question her nope. colorness? No, That's great. No, but <laughs> Because, because she doesn't claim to be Guatemalan or anything. Do <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. What you think I do? There's the again. I've gone back and erased the audio <laughs> to let you <laughs> if you're going to try to build <laughs> a case against me. Burn this whole podcast down. <laughs> So uh, yeah, so it's 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 it starts off with a lot more color than it has at the end. So uh, you would say it's not going to pass a DuVernay test. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mm, yeah, probably. I mean, like it's everyone's a supporting character really, except for like Shailene Woodley. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it has it has Octavia Spencer, it has okay. Zoe Kravitz, um, it has Daniel Day Kim. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so I'd, I'd say Daniel Day Lewis's. More ethnic. Daniel Day Lewis's Korean brother. <laughs> so uh yeah, no, it's uh it's A for effort. How about the Bechdel test? Let's do a Bechdel yeah. check in. Yeah, it check it passes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, no, there's lots that's of That's nice that these these uh youth movies are, are mm-hmm. really getting it right. Yeah. Um and again, we keep comparing it to Hunger Games, but Hunger Games I feel like it had a, a pretty clear point, right? It's talking about class warfare, it's mm-hmm. talking about income disparity. What is the kind of the are you just nodding your head already? No. <laughs> What's the uh, angle this movie goes for? Fuck if I know. Okay. Uh, it's it's really it's really I, I I've been trying to answer that question, and it's about something about like the elites versus like the working class. It feels almost like it feels also like a class warfare, but more of like an ideological class mm. warfare. And told from an almost Fox Newsy perspective. Oh, cute! Of like you know, like oh, these elites, you know, like, like the, the erudite because the, the top class is called the, the erudite. Oh, like academics and yeah. thinkers. Yeah. Oh and, no, no. Yeah, I know. So it's kind this of anti-intellectual. John Kerry thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of anti-intellectual. 
Um, and with Turner games, I wouldn't say I don't think that ever came into play. It no. wasn't. It wasn't about. It wasn't about intellect. It wasn't about anything like that. It was just about purely about wealth. Right, because they they portrayed the capital as being like pretty vapid. Yeah, exactly. Capital is completely vapid. Mm-hmm. The capital didn't think that it was you know the, you know not vapid. Right. So. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I feel like in, in the whole thing that you overheard in the audio clip from the trailer about pure versus damaged. Mm, yeah, that was strange. Yeah. Uh, so and that's and that's sort of, yeah, it's it's not it's not great. I'm not I don't think there's any sort of great takeaway uh, from the movie except for to like, you know, to be it's one of those like be yourself, I guess, is the message. And don't let someone tell you you need to be something other than what you are. Unless you're damaged, in which case. Well, well, I mean, no, it was it's on the side of the damage. Oh, okay. That's what okay. Trish is fighting because all of her friends and family are classified as damage, and she's the only pure one. Uh, so she's that's trying to, scary. yeah, that's what she is, you know, challenging that 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 notion. Um. So, what are you going to rate it? Can I guess what you're going to rate it? Um. You, while you while you deliberate, here's my guess. <laughs> okay. You're get you're gonna say, binge the Hunger Games instead. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't even say binge. I mean, I would say binge the second Hunger Games movie, Catching Fire. I think mm-hmm. that's the best one. Mm-hmm. But no, for this one, I'm going to say send it back. Send it back. Send it back. Sorry, Allegiant. Stop wasting money on this fucking franchise. Uh, it is out now, and it is rated PG-13 for intense violence and action thematic elements and some partial nudity, but not that it matters because you're probably not going to see it. Uh, the second movie we're going to look at today is something I have been looking forward to talking about. Well, I've been looking forward to every moment since I stopped watching the trailer. Uh, it's called Miracles from Heaven. A, I can't even with this. A young girl suffering from a rare digestive disorder finds herself miraculously cured after surviving a terrible accident. It's a true story, Rebecca. When Anna got sick, I just couldn't understand it. Why was this loving little girl going through this? I think your daughter is lactose intolerant. Acid reflux. Everything looks okay. Everything's fine. Everything is not fine. So this movie is called Miracles from Heaven. Uh-huh. Um, and I first thought, is it a live-action Precious Moments movie? That's a fair question. Is it? <laughs> uh, it is. It is. Well, what it is, uh, is it is a faith-based film. And it does not uh, hide that. It is not. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. I mean, it's in the title, right? Well, I mean. It, it Miracles is, from Heaven. Which is a, a horrible title, which yeah. like, yes, horrible, horrible horrible title um it's based on a memoir by the woman jennifer garner plays in the film uh so it's sort of in the tradition of like the blind side like plucky southern matriarchs because it takes place in texas uh who you know take on the system and won't take no for an answer um but right off the bat before the movie has even begun there is um, a production company title card that comes up that says affirm films and i was like oh god damn it um, and a firm is like cut against uh you know like clouds in a bright sky mm-hmm. like looking all celestial and i'm like ah shit what here have we I go done? and i didn't know going into it that it was going to be as overt as it was mm-hmm. um then i saw td jake's production company um title card come up td jake's is like a a famous mega pastor oh uh so i was like oh okay um so it's gonna be like that and uh, and then within the first ten minutes of the movie, we watch literally an entire church service. Oh, like yeah, like so it opens with hmm. with them in their home and uh, with Jennifer Garner and her husband Martin Henderson from the Ring, and then their three little daughters. Uh, they uh, they go to church, and then 
it's it it literally it gives us an entire worship song uh we see everyone standing in the pews smiling and clapping and raising their hands as they sing this christian worship song and like the reason you know it's bullshit is because all the girls are smiling and la- and like laughing and happy too and no child is ever no. happy in church Mm-mm. not a thing nope. um and then the pastor comes ambling up who was played by no less than john carroll lynch Twisty the Clown himself from American really? Horror Story Freak Show. <laughs> I was like, not going to be able to get past that. <laughs> Sorry, movie. Uh, so, yeah. So it, 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 it does not try to trick you into like a, a Christian movie. Okay. So it's unambiguous. It's... it's unambiguous. So you can't really dock it for what it very much openly admits that it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. It's a Sony film, right? Uh, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's under them. Um, so what is the, what faith values does it promote? What is, what are we trying to get everybody in church or? No, it's not even that evangelical. Um, so it really is just a story about, uh, about family and about perseverance and, uh, and it's, it's the Jennifer Garner's character loses her faith during her, during this, the, over the course of the film and then gets it back. And so it's basically just about going through hard times mm-hmm. and having like your know, family and friends around you to support you and just, you know, just being, you know, persevering. But then the funny thing is, so she loses her faith and everyone's like horrified that she's lost her faith. And then things work out and then she gets her faith back and she's like, and I, I never should have questioned it. I never should have. I'm like, okay, so wait, so the lesson is that like, if things work out for you, then you'll get your faith back and you'll like believe again because that's kind of a bullshit message. <laughs> like that's not really oh, like that's... so. It's like when times got tough, she didn't yeah. When times got tough, guns. she bailed, and, and then when things, then got, when good, things got better, she's like, like "Whoop, I'm back." <laughs> uh, so sounds not, realistic. Yeah, it was realistic in that sense, but no, it's not about like it's not about. There's no altar call moment. There's no like, what? You know, there's no altar call. Altar call. Oh, sorry. I used some church language. Some lingo there. Altar call is um, a moment in a church service whenever, a Christian church service, when you're invited to, like, come forward and give your life to Christ. So, like, let's say... Like, like a sacrifice? <laughs> no. Let's say, like, um, if a pastor is really doing a good job and it's, like, an evangelical church, then, you know, they'll be like, if anyone here wants to come forward and give their life to Christ for the first time or to renew their, their faith... Sounds very sexual. It's <laughs> I don't I'm not picking up on that, but is it like we're coming at this from different perspectives? Is it like a witness thing? Like, well, it's basically you just come forward and pray. Can I get a witness? You just come. Well, you just kind of like all come forward to like the altar and you and you are prayed with by like the pastor or whatever. So, point being, the movie does not have a moment where they actually are like, "All right, everybody, believe in Jesus." Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That it doesn't get that evangelical. Um, there is a man who they encounter along the way. As Jennifer Garner and her sick daughter are going around, they spend much of the movie in Boston, which is where the specialist is. They need to work on the daughter's intestinal issues. And they come across like a non-believing father of the girl that she shares a room with. Mm-hmm. And um, and he is sort of like, he gets turned, basically, by his experience. Turned? He gets turned. He gets he gets turned to Christ. Oh, not turned. Yeah, I know. He gets this turned. Lingo he did, he, is very confusing. He gets, he gets to me. turned for Christ uh, <laughs> through knowing this this little Christian girl, um, and uh, so yeah. So but, but beyond that, and that even it even back it even softens the definition of miracles. Um, so Jennifer Garner in this film has a very unnecessary voiceover that's tacked on very like clumsily at the beginning and end of the movie. Oh, it's like uh, a Nicholas Sparks movie. Yes. 
um, where she says in this voiceover literally the exact same thing that she says when she gives a big sermon at the climax of the movie. So just doubling down, just repeating, mm-hmm. just making sure it's not lost of when these points are. And um, so, and, the, and when she's going through the points, she's saying that like, a miracle can be anything. A miracle can be a smile from a stranger on the day you really need it. Cheap. A miracle can be <laughs> cheap. <laughs> she's a cheap, desperate, cheap spiritual date. So uh, yeah, so it, it it's really not. Um, and then even okay, so the girl has all these intestinal problems, and then um, after she has finally, it seems like she's kind of like on the road to recovery a little bit. She has the intense extreme calamity. Which, mm-hmm. when it happened in the movie, I almost thought it was unbelievable. I was like, this couldn't have happened. But allegedly, this is what happened. She falls through, she falls 30 feet down the hollow inside of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, you just have to be like, <clears throat> it's like, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's time for you to die. It's like, let's just leave her in there. Apparently, God has spoke and yes. said this one was an issue. Right, yeah. Like, you clearly have done something very wrong. Because uh, <laughs> terrible things keep happening to you. Um, but, um, but yeah, so then she's in there, and then she, like, has an encounter. With a squirrel? She thinks that she, she like, she goes to heaven. Um, and then when she comes back, when they rescue her out of the tree, then suddenly she's, like, healed. Um, and this is their story, and they're sticking to it. But even in the movie, they don't really try to, like, force that down your throats because they show, like, the mother and father talking to the daughter about what happened to her. And the mother's like, I just worry that when you go out and tell the world what happened, that they will, you know, think bad things and, and, and you know, and think that maybe you're crazy or you made it up. And the daughter's very chill about that. She's like, <laughs> she's like, she's like, well, you know, that's fine. You know, they, everyone, everyone comes to it in their own time. And the mother's like, what a wise thing to say. Oh my god. Uh so uh yeah, it's 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 that kind of movie. So it's not aggressively evangelical, but it is like unapologetically and openly a faith-based movie. Mm-hmm. Uh when I watched the trailer for this podcast, um I wanted to die. Um <laughs> which I guess is kind of like what happens to this girl in the movie. Yeah, the movie is not really about faith. What it's about is female suffering. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> so I think you were feeling that. Oh, perfect! It, it was, worked. Yes, it was rubbing off on you. You were picking up what it was putting down <laughs> when you were watching the trailer. Yeah, so it's really about female suffering. This is very much sort of like it's almost a, a throwback. It's like a faith-based version of like a women's picture melodrama from the '50s, where it's just about a mother and daughter who are just constantly in hotel room and hospital rooms, mm-hmm. just sobbing mm-hmm. and crying and being in immense pain. So it's really, and Jennifer Garner is like our lady of perpetual domestic misery. Uh, so she's well cast and ready for the part. But uh, so, yeah, it's really just just female suffering. It's very much, it's almost entirely uh, Jennifer Garner and the actress who plays her sick daughter. Um, it's almost just the two of them for very, very, very long stretches of the movie. So, so. It very much passes the Bechdel test. Unless oh, yeah. they're talking about God the whole time, who is oh. a man. <laughs> How dare you take that patriarchal view of, of God? <laughs> You're perpetuating regressive things. Uh, yeah, no, it passes that. Um, this kind of reminded me when I when I saw that Jennifer Gardner was in it, and then I saw the trailer. Um, like, there's the story, you know, the story with Kesha and Sony, how you're kind of tied into these contracts for a certain number of records. And yeah. then, or like, the old studio system where actors were had to do any movie that their studio. Right. Is this something that she chose? Or is this something <laughs> she was contractually obligated to be in? <laughs> Because it was very surprising. You know, I think here, I don't know why she did it. 
Um, but I will say this. This is actually, it might be the best she's ever been. Whoa. Jennifer Garner in this movie is so emotionally raw. Really? And has so much heart and soul in her performance. I was stunned. Huh. I, I've never been super impressed with her um, in movies, but I think she really plays her strings here. She's very good at, at pulling the heartstrings and being very kind of poignant. And, and you know, like in Juno, I thought, for instance, is another movie mm-hmm. that she was very, mm-hmm. very good in. And, uh, and and yeah, she she really, she goes through the ringer in this movie a number of times, and she is, she's really heartbreaking. She, I was, I was, uh, the emotion in this movie, one of the reasons I wasn't so mad at it is because the emotion in this movie feels earned. It okay. really does feel earned. And it's actually, it's directed by a woman named Patricia Riggin, who made The 33, which was the movie about the Chilean miners that came out mm, this past mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the circumstances where you can, you watch me now and I'm losing my faith in Jennifer Gardner. And then once I see her fantastic performance, I'll once again find <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yes, you'll once again be a Fairweather, a Fairweather <laughs> faith fan of Jay, of Jay Gar. Um, what the hell is Queen Latifah doing in this movie? So here's where the the nice things I'm saying take a turn. <laughs> <clears throat> so Queen Latifah in this movie is unambiguously a magical Negro. No. Yes. No. Like okay, so they go when they go to Boston. Quick definition of what that is. So the magical Negro, if you're not not familiar, something Jason made up. Yes, just want to put just, that out there. She is one magical. No, that's not. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> people don't know. People might not know. So the magical Negro is an archetype. It's a trope in in film. Uh, Morgan Freeman has played a lot of them, mm-hmm. uh, where you have a black character who is only there to sort of like be wise and soulful, and and maybe you know have some kind of almost magical mm-hmm. kind of magical realism to their to the way that they impact this white person's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and it's 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 a well known trope that is very problematic, for yes, obvious yes. reasons. Um, so in this movie, we have when Jennifer Garner and her daughter have gone to Boston, and uh, for the specialist, and they don't know anybody. They're away from their family in Texas, and, and the young daughter's in constant pain. And there's like a wait list for you know they actually go to Boston just on faith that they'll be able to get an appointment ahead of where they're supposed to be in line because there's like the waiting list is like years long and Jennifer Garner's like my daughter's going to die. We're white, let's just try to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um so they're they're having a rough night and they're at uh, like a, a shitty hotel restaurant that they're staying at. And Queen Latifah is working as a waitress at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. And she kind of sees, you know, picks up on on this on the tension and the sadness coming from that table. And then she she has nothing better going on. Nothing but she's yeah, nothing else happening in her life. And so she goes over and kind of introduces herself and, and breaks the ice. And it's just kind of funny. And, and I'm going to say sassy because mm-hmm. it's that kind of regressive trope character. Mm-hmm. So she's sassy in a way that, you know, engages them. And the daughter's delighted. Like, what is this I'm looking at? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and then they're like, oh, we don't, you know, we're, we're from Texas. And we don't really know Boston. And Queen Latifah's like, I'll tell you what. How about I take tomorrow off work and show you around? Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. Literally just met them. Just met them a minute ago. And she's ready to go ahead and miss a day's pay so she can show them around. So, and then not only that, but the movie kind of makes fun of her for being, and again, bad word, but ghetto. 
Really? So, um, so we notice when we first see her that she has kind of like, she has like bad hair. She has like really cheap looking braids, lots of like purple ones thrown in. Like she's not meant to look like she has good hair in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then whenever she comes and gets them the next day, she pulls up in a car and it's like a, like a broken down piece of shit car. And Jennifer Garner is like looking very like alarmed. Like she's very tense and very like, ooh, I don't know if we should get in this car with this woman. Oh, oh and before she gets in the car, she walks them across the street, but she just walks out into traffic. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah and then she uh, and the only thing she says she says like one throwaway line about her personal life where she's like oh I'm going through a divorce or whatever and that's it that's like the one line they threw to her to like give her any kind of life beyond just like oh, I'm your magical negro at your service right. yeah. I'm here to show you around and to cheer you up and to give you some perspective oh my god um, so yeah and she's in the movie for probably like less than five minutes of screen time oh really yeah she's she's really just kind of like a pump and dump <laughs> magical god. negro uh, oh. her her purpose is is very finite in this movie well that's disappointing yes um what what made you so every week you know there are a couple of options for the movies that we review and the movies that um we choose to see um what made you pick this one is this along that same sort of nicholas sparks masochistic um honestly it was just because i wanted to have movies to talk about in the show um and i and i went and i went out of my way i went and saw this at 11 a.m on a saturday morning whoa uh you know that was when the press screening was so it wasn't, uh, it was not a time that I would normally be, I normally skip those. Um, but I thought that it could probably lend itself to some good conversation. Mm, and so, okay, okay. And, and I wanted good, to have something okay. to talk about on the show. So She's uh, checking, she's checking. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe it was one of those guilty pleasures. I mean, kind of. I mean, I, I sensed that it was going to be, you know, hokey. Uh, <laughs> so, but it, it actually, it surprised me. Um, with that said, it's not all great. In addition to the Latifah character problems, uh, it does in the beginning have of that kind of really obnoxious anti-medical establishment attitude. Ooh, is this an anti-vaxxer movie? It's not an anti-vaxxer movie, although anti-vaxxers might feel validated just by its portrayal of doctors. Because whenever the girl's first getting sick, and it's really hard to watch because her, her stomach just gets really distended. Mm-hmm. And it just gets like bigger and bigger. And I'm just like, I've been there, girl. I know it's hard. <laughs> like, cut your calories. Yeah, exactly. Stop like, I've been, coffee. I've, I've been at poor you. Exactly. <laughs> just, just cut your wine tell, with water. Tell her. Um, tell her about hot yoga. <laughs> so, uh, as they're going to these doctors in the beginning, being like, "What's wrong with our daughter?" The doctors are depicted as being very like glib and very like, eh, "Well, it's probably this." <laughs> and you know, and Jennifer Garner is getting like angrier and angrier and angrier. Um, and so it's definitely like a doctors are assholes kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But to its credit, um, it also has the specialist doctor in Boston is made out to be like one of the heroes of the film. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So it's not like all doctors are bad. It just says, you know, this is just the experience. And I'm sure it's, it's, it's the way a lot of parents feel whenever their children sure. are sick and they go to hospitals and the hospitals are like, oh, they're probably fine. And the parents like I am home with this child every second of every day and I see them in pain and they're not fine. So I, I get that. But. The thing that was inexcusable, inexcusable, is that Jennifer Garner's character, at every turn, is looking for ways to cut the line no. um, to get treatment for her daughter. Oh man, this movie would frustrate me. At every turn. And never once is it challenged. Never once does someone say, you realize all the people waiting in front of you are just like you. 
Like you're trying to get your child in here ahead of another child who's been waiting longer. Right. No one ever says that to her in this movie. That is And that, that drove is me that drove me fucking nuts. So that was the one thing where I was like, this movie is so close to really being, you know, harmless, mm-hmm. you know, innocuous, faith-based family drama. But like the fact that that is just never challenged. Yeah. If anyone says, you know what, lady, fuck you. Like, who right. do you think you are? You can just barge in here because you think your daughter has it worse. Like, go talk to every other parent who's on the list in front of you. See how they feel. Right. No one ever says that to her. Oof. Uh, so, and obviously, you know, with that said, like, yeah, you get that, you know, any parent would look for any way to cut lines to, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm sure if you were the parent and your daughter could quite possibly be dying, then you're desperate and you'll do what it takes. But just the fact that no one even says to her in the movie, like, you know, everyone in front of you has the same problem, right? Right, right. That really bothered me. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, that sounds terrible. What is the, uh, what are you going to give this movie? I'm going to say consume moderation. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that even though it has that kind of uh, heinous element of the, you know, sort of entitled privilege and, you know, which informs their desperation of this character, even though there's a thing I was just talking about with her not taking into consideration everyone else in front of her has been waiting longer. So there's, there's white privilege and a magical negro yes in the same movie it has those things blatant it's a southern movie also the movies have that uh so but with that said i think that it has enough i was surprised i was really stunned by how much actual emotion this movie had and real earned emotion and the girl the actress who plays the sick daughter is amazing she's incredible Hmm. and jennifer garner as i said may possibly have never been better than she is in this movie. Uh, so I think if you just view it as sort of like an old old school women's picture melodrama from the 50s about like a suffering mother and daughter, um, then, you know, it, it, it comes off a lot better. And it has a light touch with things around, you know, the religious aspects of it. It's very kind of like, it's very plain spoken. It's very like, yep, these people go to church. Here's what their church service looks like. Like, I'm very, from all my years involved in the church, like, I, I can pick up on those things, like, really easily when I feel I'm trying to crank it into, like, propaganda territory, and mm-hmm. this movie doesn't do that. Hmm. So I have to respect that. That is a line that you've drawn. <laughs> yes. Um, so... This is going to be, like, 13 hours. So you never forgive me for going consume moderation, even though you haven't seen this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this always makes me question when I don't see something. I can't come I up know, with I know. That's why you got to see things. Um... I was busy at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, I guess, this one particular time. <laughs> you were in I was out of town. Um, so wait, just quickly, when you say consumer moderation, do you mean wait for it to come out on video? Would you recommend, like, maybe go to the theater to see this? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not saying I want this movie to succeed because, I mean, it's, you know, it's a faith-based movie. And, and you know, and they tend to... They don't need any help from mm-hmm. the secular press. Like, what is it? What do these queerbos think about exactly. it? Oh, they say go to it. Excellent. <laughs> exactly. This is yeah, our these own queer ass perspective. These movies that... do fine on their own. Um, so yeah, so I'm not saying you know if 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 any of our listeners, which is possible, uh, you know, sound like think that sounds like something that would be appealing to them, then they might not hate it. Um, I would say that you know for me, it really just came down to enjoying really emotionally intense female drama. And that's what this movie gave me. Ah, there it is. Yeah. Miracles from Heaven is out now and is rated PG-13 for thematic material, including accidents and medical images. Well, that makes it sound kind of fun. Hmm. Um, so now the last movie, uh, which is the pick of the week, Eye in the Sky. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. 
of the week. Colonel Catherine Powell, military officer in command of an operation to capture terrorists in Kenya, sees her mission escalate when a girl enters the kill zone, triggering an international dispute over the implications of modern warfare. What's happening? We see a suicide vest and a whole bunch of explosives. What's the plan, General? We have the ability to strike a target with considerable accuracy. I came here to witness a capture, not a targeted assassination. Dozens of lives are at stake if these men leave. We need to put a hellfire through that roof right now. Did I hear Alan Rickman? You did hear Alan Rickman. You heard Alan Rickman in his final uh, live film performance. Does it make you sad the way that looking at um, Philip Seymour Hoffman in the um, Mockingbird, Mockingjay movies makes you sad? No, it's a different kind of sad. Uh, you know, the, tr- the circumstances of Philip Seymour Hoffman's death were just yeah. very harrowing and very upsetting. Um, Alan Rickman uh, is is it's very it, that was very sudden. You know, very mm-hmm. sudden, but. You know, it didn't feel quite as, like, disturbing. It's not right. like, oh, that poor guy. What the fuck went wrong there? Yeah. You know, it's not like that kind of thing. But so this is a final uh, on-screen performance by Alan Rickman. And it's it's a really nice one. It's a really nice, like, kind of, you know, closing shot for him. Um, it, it has some really good dry Rickman humor. Oh, nice. There's a scene where he goes shopping for a baby doll. <laughs> uh, so I think picture Alan Rickman going, like, is this the one that wets itself? Or, you know, like, it's, 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 that was a bad impression. But it was a bad uh, impression. I know I lost. I can't, he's, it turns out I can't do Rickman. That's no. how you know. He's one of the greats. I can't, I can't even get close. You're no Cumberbatch. I'm, oh, does he do a good Rickman? He does a good Rickman. Oh, well, he's not even human. So good for him. Um, I won't be held to that standard. Uh, so in addition to, uh, in addition to the funny bits, there's also quite a bit of gravity and drama. And it's just a really, really nice uh, farewell to Alan Rickman. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, so this movie is about drones, and that's an interesting topic, right? Drones are they are they're toys. They're that assholes fly in the park. Yes, that land of people. I know a few of those guys. Uh huh. Um, they're movie villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this level, it provides like a step between like somebody and a gun, right? It's like people in a room, and then there's this other layer of sort of something that you control, but it isn't like that direct. Um, there are so many rooms in this movie. Are there? So Aaron Paul plays the the guy who has his finger on the trigger, and he is in Nevada. Okay. And then Alan Rickman is in London, mm-hmm. uh, sitting down in like a room full of, of politicians. And then Helen Mirren, I believe, is either also in England or she's at a military center in Kenya, which is where it's all happening. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so definitely this movie is a procedural it is very much 100 percent a procedural about drones and about the use of drones in like modern warfare so this is not a gopro on a drone taking photos of south by southwest no okay i totally got this movie wrong <laughs> not that sorry <laughs> uh so and and the, the movie is almost like a real time kind of movie uh, okay. where we are watching all of these different components of this larger international partnership between the United States and the UK mm-hmm. um, to go after these extremist terrorists who are in Nairobi in Kenya. And so, you know, so they're all watching what's going on. There are these, you know, they're using the, you know, the eye in the sky to, to watch things. They have different ways of seeing what's going on. And they're figuring out, okay, what's going on in there? Are those the people that we want? What should we do about it? And so there's just kind of like a, a constant dialogue going on back and forth between Helen Mirren, who's in the command center, Alan Rickman, who's sitting down with the politicians, and Aaron Paul, who's sitting there um, getting ready to actually pull the trigger. And then the complication is that this little girl sets up shop right outside of this compound. 
uh, mm. where they are realizing that they have a situation that would call for uh, hellfire, as Helen Mirren says. For, airstrike. Yeah, an airstrike to destroy this house and everyone in it because we they watch as two different men are strapped into suicide vests and, and start and film the videos, um, the martyr ah. videos. And uh, so... So it's the entire movie is it, it, it almost almost comically uh, is about how hard it is to get authorization to do this, um, or at least if you care, at least if you have like a conscience about it, right? Um, which they make it clear only the Brits have, <laughs> and or at least and Aaron Paul does as well. Aaron Paul is very conflicted, but the American politicians, in their hand, mm-hmm. are like portrayed as like being like almost uh just hilariously disinterested in the collateral damage like every time that they call up an american politician because there's like multiple times it's it's all about bureaucracy it's all mm-hmm. about like going up the ladder making sure everyone has signed off on this thing before it happens and knowing what the risk is going to be and all that stuff and anytime they talk to an american they're like uh okay so one person's gonna die who's you know innocent bystander why are you even asking of course that's fine <laughs> Um, and the Brits are like, well, and so, yeah, so it's, it, it, it definitely has, has that, per, uh, that perspective, but so you really, it, it really puts you there. It's very much a kind of thriller that you're just there second by second with them, just like on the edge of your seat, like, Oh God, what are they going to do? We've seen a few war movies lately along the, the scale of there's like the 13 hours American mm disgusting piece and then right. there's a war which which has a very slow and mm, uh danish. Ca- D- danish view of right. of war i'm war- the danish girl <laughs> <laughs> sorry um we talked about that yeah uh where does this fall along that spectrum um uh, i would say it's it's in the middle okay uh between those two uh you know it's a very it's a very sort of just engrossing gripping um suspenseful drama um, but it doesn't give, there's no easy answers in this movie at all. Like it doesn't, it doesn't let anyone off the hook. There is no, no factors arise that make anything easy for anyone. Mm-hmm. So it never gets easier and it makes, there are consequences to everything everyone does. And, uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of weight to that. And so it's, it it's, it's not like a 13 hours at all. It's not jingoistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not like. The terrorists are 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 you know, or like you know, all the people in this country are all lunatics and right, right. and you know and it's all about getting our, our our white heroes out intact. So it's not careless. It's no 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 no. I, I don't think that it's in any way irresponsible. Uh, one of the main terrorists is actually a British woman. That's that's why the 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 UK is so involved is because one of the, there's like a, a UK woman who's been radicalized mm-hmm. and is like one of like the leaders in this movement. And uh, so they're there trying to like originally they're just there to take her and like extract her and and capture her um but then whenever things escalate and they find out that there's the uh, explosive vests Mm -hmm. then they're like okay now this is actually now this is turned and now this is about we need to take them out because there could be untold civilian casualties so it really it really is one of those movies that takes you step by step and just makes you consider each and every piece of complicating evidence that there is here every complicating mitigating factor you have to kind of just weigh in your hands and you have to like just, you know, decide for yourself as a viewer, like, do I agree with what they're doing and mm-hmm. how they're going about this? And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I would say it's, it's much more European at heart than, uh, than American in terms of its overall sort of moral compass. Does it have a, like a political point, um, a political point of view or a particular agenda? 
I don't it's it's not a pacifist movie it's not a movie mm-hmm. it's not a movie necessarily that's about like all war must stop and all drones are bad uh it's not even really about it's not an anti-drone movie I don't even really think it's okay. it's I mean it shows like the extreme power that comes with having the drone capabilities mm-hmm. um but it's not a movie that makes you think that they shouldn't kill all these people okay um it's not uh it's not that kind of movie but you know it's basically just sort of giving you it's it's sort of it's it's not especially interested in judgment it kind of has a detachment from what it's presenting it just kind of says like well here's a story of of you know modern warfare it's more about modern warfare in general than it is about drones and just about like the complications that come with all the technological advancements mm-hmm. uh, that have mm-hmm. happened so it's not gonna make me feel f- afraid of drones i'm not gonna no. sit here in san francisco and be yeah. scared that drones are gonna come shoot me and no i am because one of my neighbors has a drone but oh no <laughs> yes uh, but no, uh, no, it's not that kind of movie. It's not like a movie you walk away like, oh, the world's going to hell because of the drones. Right. Like it's 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 not that kind of movie. It's not that that simplistic or that or that um, you know didactic about mm-hmm. what it's saying. It's really just as I said. It's just a procedural. It's just procedural about modern warfare and about all the complications that can arise and like the the risks you run um, whenever you uh, you know play in this way. Helen Mirren stars in this movie. She does. Um, how how is she? She's great. Um, how does she act? <laughs> she acts sensually. Oh wait, what? Well, I mean, it's Helen Mirren, so she's always kind of sensual. But she's wearing, you know, she's in uniform, so that's uh, that, oh yes, that kicks go in, on that kicks that kicks things up a notch. Yes, yeah, so she's there in a uniform and she's just barking orders and and just very commanding. So it's your dream. It's your dream journal. Yes, they broke into it again. <laughs> um, I was I was a little disappointed to hear that this wasn't the story of like an intrepid, you know, helicopter traffic reporter. It's your eye in the sky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like Channel Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe the next time it'll be like an anthology series. It'll be different movies called Eye in the Sky. This is Eye in the Sky, Kenya. And they'll be like <laughs> Eye in the Sky, Santa Monica. Uh, the Five is backed up again. Yeah. Um, so this is. The pick of the week. It is the pick of the week. Uh, we're recommending to binge it. Yes, binge it. Go see Eye in the Sky. Uh, it's it's just a genuinely engrossing, gripping thriller uh, that also gives you a lot to think about, and is not, um, and is doesn't doesn't sort of patronize you with what's what it's giving you to think about. Doesn't tell you what to think. Exactly. That yeah. sounds like a wonderful way to spend the weekend. <laughs> yes. Use your mind, Contem- people. Yes, yes. Spend your weekend contemplating the consequences of drone warfare. Eye in the Sky is out now, and it's rated R for some violent images and language. And that's it. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can find The Binge anywhere where podcasts are sold. Uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Fight Balance. Jason is at the Jason Leroy. Um, be sure to listen next week when we'll have three, maybe three. Who knows? Who can say? And uh, and also, if you haven't already noticed, we had two special interview episodes that we, we put did. out this week. One that Rebecca did with Don Porter, the director of Trapped, uh, a really essential documentary about trap laws. Mm-hmm. And then I did one with Sally Field and John Showal- or Michael Showalter um, about Hello, My Name is Doris, which is a wonderful uh, comedy drama you guys should also check out this weekend. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.